0: worship, God, as we look at what it means to be the church and specifically what it means for North Point to be the church, God, I pray that you would open up our eyes to to who you are. God, I pray that we would be so awakened to the fact that uh, you have given us everything that we need, lacking nothing. Lord, we find everything that we need in you. Lord, we thank you for who you are. God, I pray that you would speak through it right now. Mm -hmm. That's your name I pray. Amen. You guys have a seat. Well, good morning, church family. It's good to be back with you. Uh, last Sunday, I had an opportunity to go see some family out of down in West Texas. Which can I say, this is much more beautiful than West Texas here. Uh, but it's good to see family. Go to see grandmother and grandfather who are getting older, and it was just a great time. So I appreciate y'all letting me be gone. But I heard, uh, I actually got to listen and watch uh, Pete share the message last week. What a great time with the seniors and stuff. But um, excited to be back in the pulpit. It's always weird after being gone for a week. You feel kind of out of practice, out of swing, and you're kind of, you know, riding that bike again for a while. You know, I don't know why. You're gone for one week. It feels weird. Uh, But it was fun in the drive. I got to process a lot about um, what I was talking about today and began to work on. Um, And I began to think about just the last two years. Uh, Just honestly, doesn't the last two years just feel kind of like a blur? I mean, okay, that was more of an amen than I've ever gotten in this room before. Wow, okay. I struck a nerve with somebody. It just, it's just amazing, I began to think, and Emily and I, as we're driving the car, began to process about the last two years, just all that's happened, and it just, it just, everything looks and feels different, it's just, uh, how much has gone by? I, I mean, you, we can say the, you know, the name we don't speak or whatever, and how much has changed because of it, but, but I think back, you know, over two years ago, back in February 2020 and before, I mean, different stuff, I mean, I, I used to have less gray hairs then, I remember. And my kids constantly remind me, and they've started naming my gray hairs, which I don't know how to feel about that. And before long, they're going to name it Legion, because they can't name all of them, you know? Uh, I, I think about stuff we did. We, we took our family to Disney World right before that, and I just think, man, that feels like a lifetime ago that we did that, and the kids are already talking about again and stuff. And, you know, I... I have lived in three different houses now since then. Don't judge me in the room, please. But it's crazy to think about. Like, okay, I've been in three different houses since then for various things. I, I lost 30 pounds since then. And I found it again. Uh, and I can say finding it was much easier than losing it. <laughs> uh, you know, I, what can I say? I like food, specifically Brahms cookie dough ice cream. But, you know, who cares? I mean, it's just amazing all that's happened. And I just think of your own life. Do you remember? what What... what All sorts of things have happened. Even as I think about our church and look at our church and how much has changed over the two years, a lot of good things. Right now, I'll be honest, if you're a guest, the church is coming into a real sweet season. I talked to a lot of people, a lot of people feel it, and just a lot of excitement, a lot of joy, a lot of anticipation. But I'll be honest, there's been a lot of heartache. Last two years were difficult. I mean, they hurt. We lost a lot of people that I, it just kills me to think. And we're not alone in this. A lot of other churches, we've gained a lot of people. I'm very excited. Just change. It's just different. I I bring that all up because I'm doing a series, doing something I never thought I would do before. And uh, you can email me later your thoughts on it if you want to. It's eharris at northpoint.tv in case you're wondering. If it goes to spam mail, I'll let you know. Uh, But um, I'm reteaching a message I did two years ago. I told myself I would never do that because I don't want to be accused of being lazy, and I want to be fresh. And I spent time with this, but as we talked to the staff and began to process, the realization is that this needs to be preached again. And we were in unity on it and talked about it. Uh, I'm reteaching our vision series that I did in February 2020. And if you think back, I don't know if you remember what happened in March 2020 that caused a lot of life to be sucked out of that. And so we want to reteach this. And so I'm going to tell you as a member, if you've been here since then, this may sound oddly familiar, but if I'm willing to bet, you don't remember what I preached on two months ago, let alone a while back. Uh, I don't know if that says more about me or you or a little bit of both. Uh, but I, I do believe in God's Word, and it's fresh every time. And I commit to you to this, so you will not have me do this again or often in this manner. But I feel like it was very apropos to just the spirit of what we need, is we just need to realign our feet. And you might say, like, why reteach a sermon series you've already done? Eric, I could go back and listen to it uh, later, but I hope it's better this time around because I've had more practice on it, maybe is. And the reason I think it's important is because listen to what Proverbs 29:18 says. It says, where there is no vision, the people are unrestrained or, or, or suffer. But happy or blessed is he who keeps the law. I love the message version, which the message, if you don't know, is like a paraphrase. It's someone else's interpretation of what it is, uh, which is good to read to understand the narrative of Scripture, but if you're wanting to dig deeper, I would encourage a different translation. But, but I love the message says this. It says, if people can't see what God is doing, they'll stumble all over themselves. But when they attend to what he reveals, they are most Blessed. Some say without vision, the people suffer. I think of it like this. I think when it comes to, imagine this is our church right here, and we, we understand, man, this has power, this has potential, and we believe this needs to get from here to over here, like this to accomplish a great commission. We have to make this thing move. And a lot of times what happens is we have no direction, no vision, and what happens is, is everybody's pushing on a different direction of this ball, the church of where it should go. And so what happens when you start getting different forces saying, well, I think this should happen. We should do this. And we start pushing our own agendas, our own desires, our own wants. What happens is this right here. It's just chaos. It's just chaos. It just goes nowhere. and stuff. It's exhausting. A lot of churches look like this right here where they're just not going anywhere. They're not doing anything because everyone's pushing. Everyone has good intentions. But when you push in different directions, it goes nowhere and it causes chaos and instability. But what Scripture says, if we, if we align our feet and work together in the same direction, it says, listen, what happens if we all come and say, listen, what, what if we all work towards the same thing? Suddenly, it starts going somewhere. Suddenly, it starts reaching a destination we intend to go. And so the goal of this series is to realign our feet in the same direction, to make sure we're pointing them all and going the same thing. The challenge we face is a lot of people have different ideas on what we should do, and they're not bad. But if they're not intentional, they go nowhere. I was convicted this about this in student ministry a long time ago whenever I did student ministry for 10 years and interviewed at a church and they asked me about how do I disciple students. And I knew in my heart how I did it, but I realized I would never articulated that anybody, I never read it down. I never told other people. And even sitting next to my wife, who we've been doing ministry for 10 years together, I realized that if I described, we might say similar things, but it would be different at the same time. And how can we be intentional with kids if we don't work together and accomplish this together? And so you have to have uniformity and direction in it. And if there's one thing I've learned since being at this church and being in this area, a lot of people have opinions. The greatest thing about this area is people are great. They're intentional, they're hungry. But people have a lot of opinions. I remember being a student of ministry for years realizing that if I ever came, and didn't know the answer, someone was gonna give it to me and they were gonna help me and make sure I followed through with their ideas and stuff. And this is not one of those things to force my will and say it is. This is saying, listen, the elders have processed, and we've come to a direction saying that we need to get on the same page to allow us to be intentional and accomplish something great because we want to take our church somewhere. Not because we want the glory. We want to say, how awesome is North Point? but We want Christ to take the glory. and People at going to say, man, how awesome is God? When people set aside their desires, their, their differences or whatever, to focus something together, like, man, only God could do that. And now, I have to tell you how we came to the vision statement we have. Real quick, if you put it on the screen, if you can, I'm a little out of order on my notes, but our vision, as I told you, was develop faithful followers, reach our community, and multiply the church. And over the next three weeks, we're going to unpack those again and make sure we line our feet saying, listen, the, the face has changed, things look differently, we need to be working in the same direction. And I'll tell you how this all came about. It all came about from an elders' retreat. Uh, it happened in October 11th and 12th of 2019. The elders went away to Falls Creek. We spent a couple days there just to pray and process, God, where, where do you want to take this church? Where, I, I was new in leadership. I became the pastor in February or December 2018. And a little after a year later, we decided we need to sit down and make sure our feet are aligning in the same direction. And we spent a weekend just really praying and processing, and we came away with a lot of good notes and a lot of good kind of formation started happening. But it wasn't until the elders meeting of November 20th that we finally began to formulate and iron out, this is where we believe God is leading our church, where, where we see in Scripture and where God has directed us. We finally finalized it in January 8, 2020. So excited, I came up on this very stage of February 2020 and preached my heart out about where I think God is leading us, and there was excitement, and this little weird thing in March happened that just seemed to swipe the legs right out from underneath us, and suddenly, all of it is where we look back now and go, what a blur. Now, what happened then again? And it caused, honestly, us to process and say, is this really where God's leading us? Is this really what we want? And time and time again, the elders have processed and staff and everyone are like, yes, we believe this is where God is leading us. We need to stick with it. And so we need to reaffirm it. And so with all that to say, we're going to unpack today the first aspect, which is developing faithful followers, which is all wrapped around our love for God. If you have your Bibles, we look at two different texts today, Matthew four eighteen and Romans 12:1. That's where we'll be. Now, as you open there, I want to unpack some of this idea of developing faithful followers. If you skip a step, things get drastically chaotic and out of control. And so it's important that we start with the understanding of what it means to develop as a faithful follower. That word develop, we were intentional with every word, Begin to process, it means this. It means to build up, to grow, to to improve gradually over time. We were under the belief that, listen, you don't ever uh, arrive as I'm fully developed. Developing is something that happens our entire life as believers in Christ. We, We want people to constantly be growing in their walk with God. It's a process, not a finished product. So, we didn't want to say become because you're you're, you're always going to be working on it. You should be. It's a constant life trajectory that should be going on. Faithful means consistent, it means dependable. It means over the pattern of my life, my life might look like the stock market, which right now is a bad thing to say. But over the, I might say, my life looks a little bit like the stock market, which over the course of time, the trajectory is constantly going up. I may have ebbs and flows up and down, but overall, the trajectory is constantly moving closer and closer to Christ. And followers' is an aspect of this is we're called to follow, not lead. And too often we get that out of place because we think my agenda, my will, my ideas, when in reality, that's not our original calling. And if you have your Bibles in Matthew chapter 4, you'll see that right there. This is very early on in Jesus' ministry. As a matter of fact, it's right when he's starting to recruit people, his disciples, to follow him. Now look with me in verse 18 through 22, what it says. It says, as he was walking along the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers— Simon, who is called Peter, and his brother Andrew. And they were casting nets into the sea, for they were fishermen. Verse 19, he says, follow me, he told them. And I will make you fish for people. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. Well, what an interesting and strange thing. Jesus comes to these guys who have spent their life developing, becoming fishermen. And in one word, he says, follow me. Which is a crazy that they get up and leave immediately following. But you understand there's so much packed into that verbiage, that word. In this culture and time, follow me, someone comes saying that, was something that rabbis would say to disciples. These are guys who've been rejected, who have said they're not good enough. And suddenly someone comes in and says, Hey, I see you. Follow me, and you can be my disciple. And it says, immediately they get up and start following him. There's two directives that are come out of this. The first is this, follow, come follow, and I will make. Jesus' first calling is to follow, and God would be the one, Jesus would be the one that would make us into who we want to become, not by our efforts, not by our hard works, our goodwill, all sorts of stuff. God is the one that would make us through what? Through following him, he would accomplish those means of us becoming what he wants us to be. And all of the disciples, you see, were called the same way. John chapter 1, verse 43, you see... uh, Philip and Nathaniel call this way. He says, come, follow me. Luke 5, 27, you see Matthew who come, and he says, come, follow me. And immediately they leave. And it's directive. Listen, he doesn't say go and do. I want you to go and do this stuff. I want you to go and accomplish. He says, "Just, just follow me. And if you would just follow me, the rest will work out. I'll make this work out to you. His invitation was to come follow, not go and do. The reason is this, you can't pass on what you don't have. And too often we try to pour out on empty and say, let me show you, and we have no idea what it looks like to follow Christ, and we have no business telling other people what it looks like to follow Christ. And so it's called for us as discipleship to embody it and pass it on. It begs us to ask ourselves as the church grows, what are we passing on? As God brings people into your life, what do you have to give to them? If you live in darkness, guess what? You're going to lead people to darkness. But if you live in light and you live in Christ, listen, guess what? God, people are going to follow that. They will they'll go to the extent you have. Now, now, we struggle with this because we struggle with developing because we want to go. We want to run. We want to take off. We want to say, listen, I got it. Yeah, oh, I got it. Let me just take off. And the reality is God's like, listen, just slow down and just follow me. Just follow me. I equate it to my nephew when he was uh, little, and he began to learn how to walk just a little bit. The first thing he did, man, he gets up and he starts taking off running. He crashes into a wall and just starts crying. Then he gets up and does it again. He takes off running and crashes because he hasn't developed those legs, developed those legs. Before long, he doesn't like walking because, you know why? bumping your head on a wall six times in a row suddenly like, this ain't fun anymore. And the reality is a lot of our walks with God look like that. We take off running. We run to a wall like, man, that was that hurt. What happened? In reality, if we take time to learn to crawl, and learn to walk, and we slowly do it, suddenly running becomes an easy thing. It becomes an easy thing we do. Like, like we misunderstand that even Jesus spent time developing. Like, like if the Savior of the world, the Son of God, who is 100% man and 100% God, came and spent his life developing, what makes us think, like, no, I'm better than that. I don't need that. No, don't believe me. Go read in your Bibles, Luke chapter 2, verse 52. It says Jesus was in the temples and he was growing, what, in wisdom and stature. Listen, even though he's a son of God, he didn't suddenly go, God, you know, oh, okay, I got it all, I'm done. Like he spent time studying, he spent time growing, he spent time learning. It wasn't until he was 30 before he even began to disciple people and say, come follow me, that he gives us directive. As a matter of fact, Luke 2, 52 is where Jesus says he was growing in wisdom and stature. It's not until three chapters later, which is some 15 to 20 years later in Luke chapter 5, that he first makes his first calling to disciples. And and too often we want to skip a step and go straight to step. I don't like step one. Let me jump to step two. Jesus developed himself before developing others. It's much like if you ever fly in a plane and they give you all the disastrous stories, you know, okay, hey, thank you for flying, buckle up. If, if we crash, you can grab your seat and use it as a life vest and stuff like that. If we crash, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm, I don't know what's going to happen. If, if your oxygen mask fall down from the ceiling, I'm going to scream bloody murder, but you grab it, you put it on your face first, and then what? Put it on someone else. You don't put it on someone else, why? Because you can't help other people if you're sucking out of life and you don't have any oxygen in your system you want to help someone else, you want to help grow the church, you want to help grow the kingdom, you have to start by growing yourself. And the dangers we face as Christians, as believers, is a lack of development. We, we want to take off running and doing and accomplishing and being and accomplishing our will and what happens in the process, we forget about God. And you don't think this happens. There's, there's text in Scripture that tells us of churches that struggle with this. Revelation chapter 2 Jesus talks to a church, and he says this. It's a church of Ephesus. He says, I, I see what you've done. Your hard work, your refusal to quit. I know you can't stomach evil, that you weed out apost- apostolic pretenders. I know your persistence, your courage is in my cause, that you never wear out. He's like, you do a lot of great stuff. You, you put your whole heart soul. You do a lot of great things. You do a lot of effort. But he says this, but you walked away from your first love. Why? Like, what's going on with you anyway? Do you have any idea how far you've fallen? He says, turn back. I I equate this to married couples who can spend so much time together and eventually drift apart, and suddenly you're doing marriage, but you're not married. Can I say this? You can come to church and have no interest in Christ. It's easy. You can do ministry stuff and have no hunger for God. It's easy. As a matter of fact, I think it's one of the many tools of the devil to distract us. Matter of fact, there's a book by C.S. Lewis called Screwtape Letters where he writes about this fictional tale about these demons who are dialoguing. And, and it talks about some stuff like, oh, we've distracted them. We've got them so busy with church work that they've completely ne- neglected God. We got them right where we want them to be. Their works make them feel so good about themselves and look what I've accomplished, but they have nothing to do with Jesus Christ or God. You can devote your whole life to Christian ministry and come to the end of your life, and God's like, man, I sure would have loved to get to know you. You know married couples like that. They live in the same house. They do all sorts of stuff, but yet there is no relationship there. Somewhere along the lines, we just got got the process of doing marriage that we didn't enjoy marriage. The reality is we have to come and just be faithful followers to practice this. And so turn to Romans chapter 12. Talk about what does that look like. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 through 15. Now, if you're scared, like, wait, is this a sermon and a sermon? Yes and no, so don't worry about it. We're good. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 through 15, I want to tell you practically what does developing look like. It says this, verse 1 through 15, it says, therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is the good and pleasing and perfect will of God. For by the grace given to me, I tell everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he should think. Instead, think sensibly as God has distributed a measure of faith to each one. Now as we have many parts in in one body and all the parts do not have the, the same function, in the same way, we who are many are the one body in Christ and individually members as one another. According to the grace given us, we have different gifts. It is prophecy. Use it according to the proportion of one's faith. If service, use it in service. If your gift is teaching, use it in teaching. If exhorting, in, in exhortation. If it's giving, then give generously. If it's leading, then lead with diligence. If it's showing mercy, do it with cheerfulness. But let love be without hypocrisy. Detest evil, cling to what is good. Love one another deeply as brothers and sisters. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not lack diligence and zeal, but be fervent in the Spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in affliction. Be persistent in prayer. Share with the saints and their needs. Pursue hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. And bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. It, it sounds like a lot, and you probably got lost somewhere in the text. That's okay. Well, let's unpack real quick. He's talking about what it looks like to pursue Christ in this. He starts in verse 1 with therefore. Therefore is a transition statement. Anytime you see therefore, you have to ask, what is that therefore, therefore? You get therefore? Okay. You have to look Romans one through eleven. He's unpacking the gospel: why Jesus Christ is who He says He is, why we need Him, and how you can't save it yourself. It's all about the gospel. Romans one through eleven, all about this. Like you, you, you can't do this. You got to understand who Jesus is, and once you understand the gospel, then therefore you can do something else. He says, once you understand the gospel, it starts then with the relationship with Christ. He says, therefore, brothers and sisters, in the view of mercies, I urge you, give your bodies, give your lives as a sacrifice to God. One aspect of developing is this, it's being saved. It's having a relationship with God. That sounds rudimentary, but can I tell you how many people don't understand that, have skipped that step and said, let me just start doing stuff, let me just start earning my way and never start with a need of Christ in their life and say, God, I need saved. There's an act of repentance that comes into our life. Realize, listen, you are not good enough. You have sin that has separated from God, whether you're aware of it or not. We all have fallen short of the glory of God. Scripture tells us that in Romans. And it's not about your good words. It's not about your good deeds. It's not, there's nothing. There's not enough coming to church, not enough reading your Bible, not enough connecting, not enough money you can give away that can save you. Because the more you give it, the more you've tainted. It because all out of wicked actions and wicked ways. The only thing that will save us is by someone who's good enough, who lived a perfect life, to pay the price for us, and that's what Jesus Christ did on the cross. And if you come and simply believe, if you come and say, "I need that salvation because I can't do it. I acknowledge my sins have separated from God, you will be saved." And it has to start right there with a the salvation. That's why he uses these words. He says, "Therefore, because of what Christ has done, present, like give yourself was a living sacrifice. The problem with most of us is we don't understand. We we think salvation is a prayer we say. I've read a lot, and I can't find anywhere in Scripture where salvation has a sinner's prayer. There's nowhere in there. Can I tell you what salvation is? It's an exchange we make. Too often you think, man, if I walk an aisle and I say a prayer, bada bing, bada boom, I got my ticket and I'm good to go, first class, put me on. The reality is an exchange saying, listen, I I have a lot of wickedness right here. And God's like, I have a lot of goodness. Well, if you want it, you got to exchange. Like, can can you just add it on top? He's like, no, you got to trade. you got to give me yours and I'll give you mine. And trust me, the bargain, you get much more out of the deal than me. But too often we say, no, no, just give it right here. I'll just toss it on top. I'll add it on. It'll be good. But you have to make an exchange with God. You have to give up and say, God, take all of me because I want all of you. Galatians 2.20 would say like this, for I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. I do not set aside the grace of God because of salvation. It could be gained by any way than Christ died for nothing. It's not I who live, it's Christ. Christ, when God looks at me, can I tell you something? You know what salvation is? When God looks at me, he doesn't see Eric, he sees a son. He sees a son who did all those great things. And I put on that coat, but listen, too often we try to keep the other coat as well. It's an exchange you have to make. So you have to start with the relationship. He says, offer yourself as a living sacrifice to God, holy and pleasing. This is your true act of worship. He says, verse 2, he says, do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. It has to go to growing. This is talking about seeking after the Lord. He says, don't just adapt to what the world does and just follow their lead and say, well, I'm just going to blend in and maybe I can do it. And too often we try to do that at church too. If I just come and blend in and try to just do what they do, when the reality is God is the one who has to transform us. Look at the language. It says transform, renew. Then what? You can discern. You You know what it means to transform by renewing your mind? It means daily spending time with the Lord and saying, God, just fill my mind up with you. God gives you a new vision, a new outlook on life, and suddenly I start understanding a lot more what it means. The biblical term for this is sanctification. It means becoming more and more like Christ every day. And too often we skip that step. We don't spend any time with the Lord growing. We don't spend any time as word. We don't spend any time praying. And we wonder why we feel so absent, why God feels so distant, why I don't understand what God wants from me. Because you haven't spent any time saying, God, fill me up. Fill me up. Some of you to like desperately come every single Sunday because this is the only place you do it. And you go home and you live a different life and you pour out and you pour out and you come in, the tank's not empty, you somehow coasted in the church park and let, made it in and you're like, oh, give me some more. And, and you fill back up and you go and try to survive the week. When in reality, God's like, listen, if you would just every day spend time with me. Not because not you have to, not because you earn anything, not because you get more love from me, just because you can understand what it looks like to be transformed. It has to be an aspect of us growing in the Lord. So he says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind, I love, so what? That you can discern what is good, so you can understand. God will t- retrain, will, will change your mind, change your thoughts. Third aspect is serving. Look at verse 3 through 8. He uses all this language, he says, by the grace given to me, so I tell everyone, I mean, like, don't, don't think so much yourself, don't think that, oh, look at me, look how awesome I am. Like, you have a role to give, you have a role to serve, you have something to give. He said, we're all part of one body, but all have different functions. Do you know that there is not one person that has every gift that God has made? You know why? Because God did it by design, because he wanted us to depend and work with each other and to accomplish. There are needs I have in the kingdom of God that I can't get myself, that I depend on you guys to pour into me. I need it. I need this encouragement. I need your gifting. I need your talents. I need your skills. I, I need what God has blessed you with. And so there's an aspect where we have to serve and use our gift." He said, we are many, uh, but one body in Christ, individually members as one. Verse 6 is, according to the grace of God, we have different gifts. If you have prophecy, use it as God has given you. If you have faith, show what it looks like to live by faith. If you can serve, if you can teach, you need to exploit those gifts. You need to use them. Being used by God is vital to development. I love talking to teachers or people who teach for the first time, because any time they do it, they'll say, listen... I have learned so much and grown more by teaching and pouring others than I ever did sitting on other people. When I begin to dig and I begin to pour back out and I begin to use my gifts for other people, the things that God, when you begin to use the skills and qualities that God has blessed you with and suddenly it's like, man, God has designed me for a purpose. I hate puzzles, but I love coming and putting in the last piece of the puzzle. Anybody that person? I may a time or 12 taken one piece of the puzzle and hidden it just so they can't find it. And I come and go, oh, there it is, look at there, and place it in. There's something great about realizing there's something missing, and you get to be the one to place it in and go, look at me. That's not about our qualities, how awesome it is, but there's something to realize. Listen, God has designed me to play a function, to play a role that this church, his kingdom needs and wants. And too often we don't use those. Can I just say this? You will never feel a part of the kingdom of God until you're fulfilling your part in the kingdom of God. You will always sit on the outside looking in and going, I don't get it. You'll, you'll feel like your presence is optional. It's not needed. And, and so there should be assets us being saved a relationship, but be growing, being serving. The last thing you see in verse 9 through 15 is connected. Look what he says. He says, let love be without hypocrisy, detest evil, cling to what is good. And listen to this. Love one another. Who, who's he talking about? Deeply, is brothers and sisters. Brothers and sisters are a language of family. He says, outdo what? One another in showing honor. Do not lack diligence and zeal. Be fervent in the Spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice. Rejoice is something we do with others in hope. Be patient in affliction. Be persistent. Share with the saints in their need. Pursue hospitality. For us, we say you need to be in a connecting group. All this language of talking about is talking about being around other people. You were created to not be alone. Genesis chapter 2, God made Adam, and he brought all the animals of the kingdom, and he names them, and I love the situation. He begins to say, hey, Adam, you know, name them, and I I just, I can only imagine that situation, you know? Dog comes by, he's like, what do you want to name this one? He's like, dog, and God's like, oh, I see, he turned my name around. Okay, let's be a little more creative, okay? Let's keep going here. Uh, cat, okay, bird, you know, like sounds like a, you know, just kind of threw it out there. And then as time went on, it got more creative, you know, Bill Platypus, he's like, oh, we really stretching out there, ain't you? Just going a bit. He brings all these things across and Adam is what? Still alone. And God says, listen, it's not good for you to be alone. Even God has a triune nature that he shares with others. And he says, listen, I want you to share this. You are called to live in community with other people. Can I say this? How can you do these things by just sitting in a pew and walking out as soon as the service is over? How can you have harmony with others? How can you serve? How can you share the saints? How can you rejoice with people? How can you do that by attending online? By watching online and go, Ooh, I did church. I had a hard talk with a family member just this past week who that they hadn't been to church in some time, was asking about our online presence. And I said, listen, there was a need. In a season we had, there was a need. And I'm glad that we were able to fulfill that. And they said, listen, I just, I just can't go to church right now. I'm too busy. And, and so I, they said, I watch church and I, I still tithe. And I said, man, you're, you're missing it. If people walk away and thinking that, man, church is about listening to Eric preach and make sure I drop money in the offering bucket, man, you're missing it. You're called to live in community. How can you do that? By coming every other week, by coming. The average attender comes three out of every five weeks. So it means you miss constantly. And you don't realize by your are missing, you're affecting other people. Like other people need your encouragement. Other people need your gift. Other people need that person to come and help them say, hey, listen. Listen, I love you, brother, but you shouldn't be living like this. I need people speaking to me. How can you do that if you don't ever come? If you're attending digitally, if you're, if you're just doing it saying, I'm an absent attender. Connecting groups for us are vital to the biblical vision of where we're trying to go. I'm not saying you can't accomplish that in this room, but I'm telling you, it's very difficult. When we send people to connecting groups, there's something about an intimate setting with a small group of people and sharing life. and Can I tell you another thing? If connecting groups is just something you do on Sundays and never again, that's not the vision of what it is. It's people who come face to face and remind each other of their affirmation, and throughout the week are reminding each other, encouraging each other in different ways. I'm sorry, you can't go to Acts chapter two and four. Sorry, four, and read the early church and see anything of semblance of saying, "Let's meet once a week and go back about our life." I may be here the next two weeks. I don't know. There's this constantly living and walking together, and so they're vital to us. It's the greatest place of development you'll find here. If you're depending on me to grow in your walk with God, you're going to be greatly malnourished in your faith. It's our greatest witness. John 13, 35, Jesus said, I pray they'd be one so that people would know and see their love for another. How can you do that if you come in and you walk out of here and don't talk? It's easy to be one when you don't have any relationship with people. Acts 2, 47, you see the church, they're meeting together daily, they're loving, they're sacrificing. Guess what happens at the end? Daily people are getting saved. It came through the context of community, not my preaching, as awesome as I like to think I am. It's not about that. Like, connecting groups are key to the vision. The, the church will fall drastically shir- short for you if you do not engage in a connecting group. There will be a point in your life where you will need, have need, you'll need accountability, you need encouragement, you will need a place to practice your gifts. And if you don't have a context to do with other people, I don't know what you're attending. Staff just went to a conference. It, that's probably what it is. We went, heard some great preaching, some great worship. I don't know, a person that was there, we walked away feeling good about ourselves, but listen, there was no relationship built. Our our calling is to develop faithful followers. And I'm going to tell you right now, listen, if you don't get any other part of the vision right, get that one right, because I'm confident of this. If you will get this right, everything else will fall in line, everything else. Too, too often, we, 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 we don't fully develop ourselves, and we look like awkward creatures because we got, you know, body parts that just don't match up. It's like in high school, I fell in love with doing biceps curls. I love how my arms look, doing biceps and triceps, so I went and worked out and did them all the time. I, did, I hated doing bench press, I hated doing squats, I hated doing all that sort of stuff, so I had arms that were big, I had a flabby chest, I had chicken legs and stuff like that. I was an awkward looking, like it just didn't work out. I hated doing that stuff, but man, my arms look sweet. I'd wear those cutoffs and check that out. And so, you know, look at that right there. <laughs> As time went on in basketball and stuff, because I didn't have developed all around, I started having back problems playing basketball and stuff because I'd get soreness and stuff because I was just not fully developed. It was awkward. In reality, many of us walk through our Christian lives like that. We're not fully developed and we're looking at like, how people are looking at going, like, that's weird. If you would spend time doing this, I promise you. The rest will work itself out. How do I know? Because Jesus said that when someone came and asked him, he says, hey, what, what, what's the greatest thing I could do with my life? Like, sum up the whole Bible in one word. Jesus said this, love God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. Do this, and if you love others as well as you love yourself, can I tell you something? All of it will work out. You pretty much summed up the entire scriptures. Get that right. And the dangers when we get it out of whack, when we don't, is, is we suddenly find ourselves unstable and chaotic in life. Can I say this? I used this illustration last time. I hope it'll hit home again. Many of us, when it comes to God, we're, we're, we're hungry and thirsty for God. If this represents God's spirit and God's love and God's. Feeling in us a lot of us is this we have this the whole time available to us but we we go through our week like this oh man i sure sure wish i could get filled with god i sure wish i could get it and then then we come to church and like oh praise jesus give me some you know maybe we don't fully maybe we fell asleep at the 20 minute mark of eric's sermon so that's all you got today right here you know what i'm saying yeah i called you out and you get there and you get that much and you go back out and you take a little sip and you you pour some out and suddenly by tuesday you're like man my cup's empty Why am I running on fumes? Like, why does God so seem foreign? Why does Christianity just not seem legit? Why does this not seem good? God seems to seem more real. And then you come back Sunday like, oh, praise the Lord, God, a little bit more. Man, Grant was rocking it today. Again, decent sermon. Uh, And you go about again. Listen, you continue to pour back out, and you wonder why life seems empty and why God just doesn't seem good, why God doesn't seem real, why God seems foreign. The reality is the Christian walk is this. As we come to church and we get filled up, then when we go home, we continue. And what happens is God begins to pour out in our life. He begins to overflow in our life. And guess what happens? When we walk around people who don't have this water of life, guess what happens to them? They start getting splashed with the goodness of God. This is why I say, listen, the rest of our vision, if you don't get this, it really doesn't matter. Because if you get this, I, listen, I'm not worried about it. God will get the rest done. We start walking around at work and people are like, yo, bro, you're splashing it. Yeah, it tastes the goodness of Christ right there. Suddenly, you come to church and church is just edifying. You're just suddenly building back up. You don't find yourself drained. Listen, can can I just ask you, does this represent your life in Christ right now? Does this what it looks like for you? Do do you come to thirst, dying of thirst? Do you come like, God, I'm just ready for the overflow of more? Listen, coming to church once a week was never God's design, it never was. It was for you to have a walk with God. And when you come and, and God's pouring in your life, you can pour into others and God can pour out to you. And hey, what has God been teaching you, man? Look what God's been teaching me throughout the week. Look how it's been living out. Suddenly, people start having a hunger for Christ in your life. The church starts existing outside the walls of the church. It, it all starts with you having a hunger. To say, God, listen, I, I'm going to take you home with me. I'm, I'm going to spend time in your word. If you've never done it, let's start easy. I'm just going to read one chapter a day. I'm going to read one verse. I just need a little bit. Sometimes we make it so big, like I have to get so deep in God's Word. Can I tell you something? I've eaten a lot of meals in my life. Sometimes I need McDonald's fast food because it's quick and easy, and and I just need that to get through the day. It's okay reading little experts. Sometimes I like a big old steak dinner and get some, some Red Prime or Cattleman Steakhouse. I like to sit down and have something prepared, have a big, meaty meal. Listen, they all nourish and they all provide at certain times. There's nothing wrong with having those. The reality for you parents, can I say this? Listen, you, you want to know how you make your kids hungry for Christ? You start doing this at home. And you don't have to say much. The overflow of God will begin to pour out to your kids. And, and can I tell you, like my years of student ministry, the two t- type of kids I saw that, that really flourished in church, you, you had one kid would be this, kids whose parents were not saved. And, and they see their parents, and they know. That's not it. Without a doubt, I want God because I've seen what it looks like to not have God. I know exactly what it looks like. The other kids who flourish at church and do well are the kids whose parents are living this kind of lifestyle right here because they see it like, man, I saw what it looks like to follow Christ. I want that. I hunger and thirst. I want my cup filled like that. The ones who struggled are the ones whose parents are like this. They've lulled them into a belief that, listen, it's okay to die of thirst Tuesday through Friday. As long as you come Sunday and get your cup back filled, you'll be okay. And trying to talk to them about Jesus, talking about how great it is, it just seems foreign to them. You want to really disciple and reach your kids? Listen, spend time with God daily. And, And so here's my challenge, my calling is this. Listen, if we're going to be effective for the kingdom of God, we have to allow God to penetrate our heart and take over. And today, for some of you, one of those steps that I'm talking about, you need to start with. Some of you, you need to start by just getting saved. You've tried to do church stuff, but you don't know Christ at all. And you need to give your life to Christ. You need to make an exchange. Not get your plane ticket. That's not what it is. You need to make an exchange. Some of you, you need to go home and you need to start discipline. Say, God, listen, this week, I'm going to try two times this week spending time with you on my own. I'm going to ask people to encourage me. Some of you, you need to find your place in the body of Christ and start serving, playing your role, using your gifting so that God can do great things. Some of you need to get engaged in connecting groups because you fooled yourself and believe, like, listen, relationships are messy. I get it. I know why you don't want to go because sometimes people are people. But God called us to be with people and we'd be edified, we'd be sharpened by being around other people. You'll be wounded, but you'll be loved at the same time. God will use other people and you need to be in it. And so every single one of us has some calling in that. And so I'm going to pray, and as I pray, Grant's and the team's going to come up. I'm just going to ask God, would you stir in your heart whatever step you need to take to start developing as a faithful follower and do that. I'm going to have elders come forward, and their wives will be available, too, to pray for you. Maybe you just need prayer to follow through. Like, listen, Eric convicted me. That word convicted me on that right there. Would you just hold me accountable? Would you pray for me for this, to do it? So let me pray. Father God, I pray for us today. I pray you stir in our hearts all the areas that, that you need to take care of. God, forgive us for our shortcomings. Forgive us for trying to get ahead of you. Forgive us for not wanting to follow, but we try to lead. I pray that you would you would help us just to find you. I pray for those in the sound of my voice who have never come to a place of salvation and placed their trace in you, have not exchanged their life for yours. I pray they would do that today. With our elders available up front and their wives, I pray they'd come and just ask for prayer. For those who have done that but have not taken the next step in other areas I've talked about, God, I pray they'd hunger for that so that we can be a church known for you. God, I love you. I pray, stir us to action. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If you need prayer, if you need just to respond in some way, shape, or form, you've got Pete and Sarah over here. Uh, they, they would love nothing more than to help you with that and just talk you through that. I'll be over here, uh, but I encourage you to come up and respond in time. So as the band plays, I'm going to ask you to respond. Would you stand, and let's worship together. <laughs>